the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. So uh, we are in week seven. We're going to be continuing our sermon series. And this week we're going to be talking about pursuing awe and our desire to have an awesome experience with our Lord and Savior. We want to feel his presence. We want to be impacted by him. We want to have a true revelation of God. During the sermon about pursuing encounter, we talked about there is a way to experience God that is one way. And we talked about sort of viewing things on television and then sort of uh, encountering God in a way that is live and in person with like a live play. And those encounters are very different. So what we're seeking here at Calvary is we want to move to a place where God, we just have his manifest presence so evident that we are in awe of him. So this week we're going to be pursuing awe and we're going to be in Revelations chapter 4 starting with verse 1. And the scripture says, And after this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. So this is a side point because this is a very short sermon today. But... In order for us to really grasp and to really see God in the way that we're talking about seeing God, we have to become in the spirit. We have to meet God in the spirit. Jesus talked about those that worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. And so sometimes some churches, they become just a little too spiritual. And so we've seen some of these churches, that some, some of those churches look like uh, it's more of a circus than it is a worship service. And so sometimes that's just a little too spiritual, a little too, uh, some people would say a little too ghosty. You know, it's so spiritual, it's spooky. And so you're wondering if it's even Christ that's leading that service. And so the pendulum can't swing too far the other way. Uh, but then there's also, there's churches where there's only truth. There is so much truth that it becomes false in the sense that the Bible has said that these gifts of the spirit that we talked about in a previous sermon where it says the gifts is God's way of pouring out his love on us. He has said, I have these gifts for you. And then some people are so full of truth and so scared of the spiritual spooky that they say that, well, God doesn't do that today. God doesn't do miracles. Those things written in the Bible for Paul was only for that era and nowhere in scripture does it ever say that nowhere in scripture does it says the gifts cease to be evident and exist 
And so we as a church, as Calvary, we have to find that fine balance between what does it mean to be in the spirit and what does it mean to be in truth. And we can't balance too far one way or the other because in doing so, we may dishonor God. So what we're trying to do right now is we're trying to, because we are uh, uh, honestly and transparently speaking, we're a little too balanced on the truth side. And, and a lot of people uh, believe, uh, based on their background, their denomination, that the spirit and the gifts for today don't exist. But here's always my retort. Show me in scripture where it says that, because we're a church that loves the Bible, right? So as a church that loves the word of God, here's all I'm asking for anybody who has an objection. Show me in the scriptures, and I'll be happy to acquiesce, to say, you are absolutely right. I repent. I was in the wrong. As a matter of fact, a good friend of mine came up this morning because you guys, you guys got some prophets running around in the church. They're just in disguise. So this prophet comes up to me at the door, and she says, and, 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 and I'm being kind of hyperbolic with the language, but for dramatic and entertainment's sake, I'm going to put my spin on it how I heard it. Is that okay? So she came up to me, and she says, Pastor, you're a liar. And I was like, oh, my gosh. God, how have I sinned? And she said, getting to know you is not from the sound of music. It is from the king and I. I said, I received that correction. I received that rebuke. (laughs) Because if I can't get it right with a musical, I may steer you far away with the scriptures. So, but I appreciated that and I appreciate anyone doing that. Because I want to make a point. If you see your pastor getting off track, please pull my coattails and says, I think you were off on that scripture. I think your hermeneutics or your interpretation may be wrong. I think that you may have missed it in this particular area. And because here's the thing. I am happy to repent. I am happy to apologize. I am happy to fall on the face of God and say, God, please show me. Please show me where I got it wrong. Because if I'm wrong with God, that is massively a no-go. All the congregation could be mad at me, but if I know that I'm standing where God told me to stand, I will stand there. But if I'm standing in the wrong and all of you love me, and nobody is willing to at least be bold enough to say, no, pastor, you missed it. Because I'm a fallen human just like everybody else. Just striving to get it right, striving to understand, striving to hear from the Lord. And so sometimes I miss it. Sometimes I get it wrong. And so if I get it wrong, I'm begging this congregation, please hold me accountable. Please hold me accountable because we're in this together. Uh, There's a quote that says that if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. If you want to go fast, go alone. You'll get up. But if you want to go far, we have to go together. And so with that, we're going to continue in Scripture. And it says, the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like emeralds and circled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and, and peals of thunder. And in front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. 
These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what was like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, I want you to catch that. Day and night, they never stopped. Turn to your neighbor and say, they never stopped. They never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. I want you to gather this. The living creatures in heaven take one small line and they sing it like a mantra. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So sometimes the complaints we hear now is, well, they just stood in church and they just kept singing this one thing over and over and over. And what I'm telling you is, it's biblical. It's biblical. That was one of the great complaints during the worship wars. People said the hymns give you theological doctrine with all the verses, and they're just singing this one line as a praise chant. And what I'm saying is, it's biblical. So what are we supposed to do with it? Because it's not a preference, do we stop? And also singing hymns with good theological doctrine and a lot of verses that teaches people is biblical. So should... All of a sudden, because we're a new generation and we got a new sound, all of a sudden stop singing things that are theological, foundational to who we are as Christians and believers? No. Again, everything is all about balance. Everything is always about balance. And so if we keep that in balance, there shouldn't be any worship wars. It shouldn't be hymns versus praise courses versus contemporary versus traditional. It should be, is this song singing the truth of God? And if it's singing the truth of God, whether it's uh, uh, guitars with a distortion or an acoustic or a piano or just a solo acapellist, it, it doesn't matter. Even if it's polka, if it's singing the truth of God, we should be excited because the truth of our God is being declared, not in what venue or format in which is being done. As long as the truth of the God, as long as the truth of God, as long as we have spirit and truth, that is what should matter. That is what should matter. So from that, it says, whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. Watch this. They lay down their crowns before the throne. I only have one principle of pursuing awe. When you encounter the awe or the awesomeness of God, you excitingly surrender everything. If you have truly met God manifested in your life in whatever way that is, where he appeared to you in a dream or when you heard the gospel and you, as James Wesley said, felt a strange warmness in your heart. However you experience God, 
or if you had a road to Damascus experience like Paul, however you experience God, here it is. Once you encounter the awesomeness of God, you excitingly surrender everything. Everything. Because the elders all had crowns, which means they were royalty. They were people of power. They were people of influence. And so here's the three areas they were willing to surrender. First, they were willing to surrender their pride. They said, even though we're kings, even though we're royalty, even though we have power and influence and we are over regions, we have this authority. When I meet God, I surrender all of that. And kings don't bow down to other kings. Not royal protocol. Kings don't bow down to other kings. And they certainly don't take off their thrones. So what did it mean for them to say, you know what? I know I'm a king, but that's an even greater king. And I surrender not only my pride and prostrate before you, but I also surrender my position. You're a greater king than me. There's no doubt. You are greater than me. You're more powerful than me. And so if I have to give up my position, I give up my position so that you can be glorified. So that no one else makes the mistakes. There's not two kings here. That's why I take off my crown. There's not two kings. There's only one king. And even I, as a king, surrender my position before the king of kings. And lastly, they gave up their power. Their power and influence. Because once you surrender your position, you don't have any authority. And they surrendered all of their authority, the control or the illusion of control, to the one who truly has control. And they gave it all over to the Lord. They gave it all over to the Lord. And this is how it proves they did it in an exciting way. Once they did it, they said, God, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you are created all things and by your will they were created and they have their being. The kings were not disgruntled. The elders were not trying to hold something onto something they knew wasn't theirs. They just said, you know what? When God shows up, I give it all up. When God shows up, I, I, I give it all up. Because he's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. And without him, I am nothing. So here's the, the question, part one. What does the awesome presence of God compel you to immediately surrender? What in your life have you held on to? Is it pride? Is it unforgiveness? What are you holding on to? Resentment. Or maybe you're just holding on to God, I don't want to give up control. I know you're calling me to something, but I don't want to give up control. I know you're asking me to do something else, but I don't want to give up control. So what does the awesome presence of God compel you to immediately surrender? What is God calling you to surrender in your life? And with that, to reflect upon whether or not you've truly encountered that awesome presence of God, describe a time. You don't have to do it now, but when you get home, describe a time with your loved one or with your family or with your friends 
with the awe of God and how your life was immediately impacted or changed. Because like Paul, you met the real Jesus on the road to doing something else. Because I think sometimes we forget just how awesome our God is. Just how powerful our God is. And how he has blessed us to be his children that we can go to the throne of the most powerful person in the universe. And just pour out our love on him. Pour out our love on him. So with that, I'm going to... um, I'm going to, uh, as we get ready to uh, transition into communion, I'm going to be asking us to pray for the following things when the prayer and praise starts. You are invited to stay and just be among us for as long as you want. You can sit and meditate again, however you express yourself in the Lord. Uh, With that, I'm going to give some rules of engagement. The scripture is very clear. Some of us have spiritual gifts, such as the gifts of tongues. The spiritual gift of tongues in the public worship setting is not really to be done out loud because it's a prayer language between you and God unless there is an interpreter. So for those who love to express themselves that way, I'm going to ask you to kind of follow the biblical order of things and kind of keep that at more of a quiet prayer because that's between you and the Lord unless you know there's an interpreter in the house so that we don't spook people out by thinking that we're too spiritual, we're spooky. Let's follow the way the Bible says to do it. If you feel like God has a word for this congregation, we're going to again ask you to follow the biblical order as laid out in the scriptures. You go to the elder. That's me in this case. You come and say, I believe I heard a word from the Lord. I'll invite probably one other person. We'll hear that word from the Lord. And then the elders are to judge it to see if it's actually from God. Is this a word for the congregation? Is this a word for you? Or is this a word you're supposed to take to someone individually? The reason we get these out-of-balance services and you see these circus acts in a lot of churches is because they don't follow Scripture. Scripture is very clear how the spiritual gifts are supposed to manifest in a public worship setting. So, So for those who are super spiritual and have the gifts, we ask that you follow the protocol of the Scriptures. Again, we're going to stay biblical with everything. For those of you who believe that maybe you come from a cessationist background, we're going to ask this, that until you study the scripture and kind of find a decision, that you give grace to those that may not follow it perfectly as they're striving to express those gifts, that you have grace for other people as they try to lean in to all that God has to offer. And these are going to be the five areas we're going to be praying for, God, fill and lead our church, revival for our church, the city, and the world, restoration of marriages and families, strategies to impact younger generations for Christ, and God, give us a deeper hunger and desire for you and your heart. So with that, I'm going to ask you, invite you to partake of communion if you are taking this week. And if you are partaking in communion once you're ready and have finished fighting with this vein on the top, Uh, We invite you to stand (laughs) as we go to the foot of the cross and remember what our Savior has done for us. So Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and after he had given thanks, 
he broke it saying, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. Do so in remembrance of me. And likewise, he took the cup. And after he had given thanks, he said, drink it. This is the, my blood, the blood of the new covenant shed for you. As often as you drink, do so in remembrance of me. For when you eat of the bread and you drink of the cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. With that, I invite you, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you for the sacrifice of your son, how his body was broken and how his blood was shed for us so that we could be reconciled to you as our father, Lord. In this time of prayer and praise, God, we are offering it to you as an offering and a sacrifice, Lord. Receive our hearts as we pour out our praise to you, God, as we give all that we have and all that we are to you. We just want you to lead rule and reign here at Calvary. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen.